And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you on this Thursday. On this episode, we'll talk about several big topics in the baseball world, which understandably pale in comparison to the events that we saw unfold in D.C. on Wednesday. Honestly, we're just hoping to provide some break from the doom scrolling that many of us have been doing for the better part of the last 12 plus hours now. Uh, Our agenda includes uh, Brit's attempt to stop MLB teams from tanking. She had a recent story about changes to the drug of abuse provisions of the Joint Drug Prevention and Treatment Program. We're also going to talk about Eno's piece uh, about the absence of in-game video in 2020 and some of the things that that may have caused over the course of the shortened season. And we'll dig into this year's Hall of Fame ballot, actually sort of heavy baseball topics across the board, but again, much uh, lighter by comparison than what we saw unfolding on our screens throughout the day on Wednesday. Uh, Britt, I mean, you're pretty close to dc <laughs> that's uh you know has got the most buffer i'm caught in the middle here in the midwest but as you watch things play out yesterday i mean what was your general reaction how did you feel about what was happening yeah i mean the first thing i did was text i mean we don't live in dc we're in the suburbs but i know a lot of people that do so i texted everyone in i knew in the area to make sure they were okay Everyone was. And then same thing like you guys. It was this weird, we're on Twitter all day for our job. So it was just this weird unfolding of like news and videos. And it was very surreal, right? Trump tweets, it's taken down. Uh, You just felt like you were kind of watching history unfold on your timeline. And I follow a lot of sports people. I don't really, I don't talk about politics. I don't tweet about politics. I don't really get involved. But there was like no escape, right? It was getting retweeted into your timeline. You were following along and being as close and, and, being someone who reads the Washington Post all the time, um, it it was just, I couldn't look away. I mean, I don't know how you watch that and how you don't kind of sit there and think, oh my God, this is history happening right here. And I'm glad we're going to get into baseball. I think people need a little bit of a break from everything that's going on. Uh, it was disgusting. It was abhorrent. Uh, and hopefully we can get to lighter topics like who belongs in the Hall of Fame, which... Actually, isn't that light of a topic? Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I I feel that, you know, deep in my bones, the need for a break and, you know, the need for a break from all of this, the pandemic and just, you know, everything. But, you know, at the same time to, you know, t- this will be part of our Hall of Fame discussion later, but, but just in general, like we're human beings and then, you know, sport is part of being human and uh politics is part of being human it's just the the question of how to best uh get to the promised land you know what i mean like we're just trying to figure out how to best run this country and um you know i think that everybody has these opinions it's 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 like uh seeing family like there's eventually you're gonna get to talk about this you know (laughs) like there's there's no getting away you see your family you see your friends you, you read sports you know there is no getting away so i think on some level you just have to embrace that where you can deal with it where you can uh take a break and go run outside uh when you really want to to get away because we're human beings this is this is this is it this is what we 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 try to work it out like if you think about you know the 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 league that was playing last night the nba they you know they uh, you know there wasn't um a lot of their uh, you know their movement, you know, in terms of, you know, where it was a little bit closer to home in, in the past, maybe, uh, but they had things to say about it. And they said it, uh, you know, eloquently, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the on the athletic that you can read, um, where Doc Rivers said some stuff, Bama, DeBio, you know, it was just really interesting, thought provoking things that they were saying. 
Um, and uh, you can't tell, uh, I think, uh, an athlete to, to shut up and dribble, basically. So um, I think we have to, you know, take it in, you know, sort through it how we see it and uh, and move on somehow. Uh, but it's just amazing to me how everyone's uh, still working with different information. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, I can shrug at it, I guess. The danger of individual truths was on full display yesterday, right? I mean, that's that's what we saw playing out in front of our very eyes. And uh, unfortunately, those days are, are not over. But where we go from here, that is uh, the great question that a lot of us are thinking about. And it's hard not to feel helpless. But, I, it, you know, as you said, I mean, amazingly, I went for a run last night. It's 25 degrees here and, you know, everything's <laughs> covered in snow and ice. <laughs> I was going to ask. I, I ran indoors. I have a treadmill in my office, so yeah. the okay. the benefits to improving my physical and mental well being is that my office smells bad because it's literally four feet away from my desk. But it's necessary to uh, you know light a candle, open a window, do what I got to do to make the also. Room smell you don't better. take a screen break though when you do it, do you? When you're indoors, I, I do. I, I have a, a thing that holds a tablet. I did not put a tablet in it last night. I, I listened to okay, music. Right. I did not watch anything. You took a while. Break. Yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> on, a nor- on a normal day, if there's a sporting event on and I want to just watch that while I run, I'll absolutely do that. It helps pass the time. That was not the case right. for me last night whatsoever. Uh, but when I first started putting this rundown together in my head you know, over the holidays, I was excited because... The Padres were doing the things that Eno and I talked about a bit on the Monday episode, and it kind of walks with this other train of thought that, Britt, you wrote about earlier in the week. Teams have been tanking for a long time in Major League Baseball, and it's problematic. A few weeks ago, we started to ask a question, and it was in the vein of how many teams are trying right now, and that's a little bit different than tanking. I think tanking, as you defined it in the piece, is really more about being a multi-year loser spending as little money as possible on payroll and collecting an equal share of revenue from TV deals, right? This is the Bob Nutting owned pirates. They are a magnificent example of this. Uh, Peter Angelos's <laughs> Orioles right now are a good example of this right now. Like, And you outlined a few different ways that this could be fixed. I, I, th- I think you wrote this probably understanding that the viability of some of these ideas uh, is much greater than others right as you kind of put it together how realistic did you feel that the proposed solutions you wrote about actually were like how likely are some of these ideas to be implemented well some of them like fixing the draft i think is an easy fix that doesn't require this huge negotiation right what to me the biggest problem to stop tanking and like you said not just tanking but teams that aren't actively trying to win is to stop reward losing Right? Why are we rewarding losing? Why is the worst team getting the number one draft pick? Why are they still getting millions of dollars in the revenue sharing? So I think of the all the ideas I had, proposing a salary floor, it's, it's going to be really hard to get owners to agree to spending a certain amount of money, right? And no one likes being told how what to do with their money, how much to spend, especially in a pandemic. So I have a hard time thinking that the players are going to bring enough to the table for a salary floor to happen. I do think that there are certain things that could be instituted, like the draft order. I think blowing up free agency might be talk for the next CBA, right? They might change how many years these guys are under arbitration. Maybe they get paid a little bit earlier on in their career. I don't know. Um, Some of these involve a lot uh, in terms of negotiation. I had something called the success ratio formula, which I had a friend who's been in baseball for two years, uh, not two years, two decades, um, kind of come up with. And the more you think about it, okay, it's very complicated to to take all these different factors into the equation of the model of how they're trying, right? It's tough to tell who's trying. You know, the Phillies were trying. And if you looked at it on paper and didn't watch them at all, you'd be like, oh my God, this team's tanking. <laughs> You know, the Yankees have spent a lot of money. They haven't won since 09. So you can't just say money works, but I think we can agree there's a threshold here. And did you guys know over the past 25 years that every single team that's won the World Series, except for the Marlins in 2003, has been in the upper half of payroll, the upper 15? 
So even those small market teams that won, you know, the Royals, the Angels, uh, you know, those smaller market, smaller payroll teams have still been in the upper echelon. So we can agree there's a threshold to being good. We can agree that teams need to figure out a way to try harder. And we can also agree it's never going to happen as long as losing is profitable. So unless Rob Manfred decides he's going to take away some of those gains, he's going to make it not financially profitable to lose. We're just sitting here throwing ideas into the wind, right? It's never going to matter until it matters to the people who can make real changes. Yeah, and I've seen some sentiment that uh, that's along those lines that, um, you know, as long as owners work the way they do and uh, want to make money and um, can make money without uh, putting, you know, as long as they seem teams as money-making opportunities as as opposed to what in the past the teams might have been uh, kind of like an expensive bauble, almost like a uh, Van Gogh or something that might have some, uh, you know, appreciation value in the future, but it's you bought it for your enjoyment and you wanted to try and win. And so you sunk money to it and, and, and it didn't matter so much how much you made on a yearly level. Uh, but... Uh, and I and I understand that, and I think it's maybe true, uh, which is why I'm kind of pessimistic about the whole thing, um, because I don't think I think in today's age, like everything is a business. I mean, like Tiddlywinks is a business. You know what I mean? Like like all these games that we used to play, like Pokemon, you know, is like a, a kids game, but it's a business, and they make tons of money. They send they sell all these packs, and like they get these kids addicted, and they they now they have Pokemon EX and GX and BX. And I don't even know. I don't care. I hate it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. We play with my kid. But um, uh, the point is that you know these ownership groups too are increasingly complicated. They're no longer usually just one person you know now it's an ownership group now you have investors now you have part-time owners and those part-time owners see it more as an investment they aren't the face of the franchise they aren't steve cohen you know they aren't that kind of owner they're like a part-time owner they're like a little bit owner so what they wanted to do was have a you know a good seat at the game and uh and also you know have some part in the financial success of the of the of the corporation they bought into so uh, when you see it that way and you see that the TV contracts have been going up to the point that they've dwarfed now, you know, I think the average team makes more like 40, 35 to 40% off of gate revenue. They just don't care as much about gate revenue. It's a, it's a thing that they figured out where they're just like, oh, we get the TV money when we get the TV money. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there could be something there. Maybe we have, we like maybe TV uh, negotiates shorter contracts. There, that could be a yeah. way in, right? Because if the TV is negotiating a shorter contract, you only get a three-year contract. If you're not good in any of those three years, that next TV contract is going to suck. Yeah, agreed. But no, it's a great point because some, I was talking to an agent that brought up that same thing, that no longer does the league care about attendance. Yeah. It's all about the, the rights to games. And until that changes, what's the incentive to have a good team and fill the stands? Right? What does that buy you? One more middling player? It doesn't seem like it makes that big of a difference. And again, there's no punishment. If you're a bad team, you're getting the same amount of revenue sharing as the team that won the World Series. Yeah. So uh, that, to me, that doesn't make it. I understand what the point was to try to make it a fair and balanced playing field. But now you have the losers that are taking clear advantage of this. Because I had a lot of people jump me up for that article and say, well, the Orioles are just saving their money for when they're good. Okay, so the 40 to $50 million of player payroll they're not paying now, they're not putting that in an envelope. So three years from now, they're going to spend $200 million randomly because they're going to go for it. Like, you might see a tiny increase, but people are fooling themselves if they don't think that they're pocketing large amounts of money while these teams are going through these rebuilds. Yeah, the light really went off for me when I looked at the numbers for Oakland. And um, Oakland, I figured it out that between national TV money, local TV money, and revenue sharing – their entire player payroll was paid for. Wow. And I was like, why is Oakland $85 million a year? Oh, yeah, because the national deal is $50 million, the local deal is $5 million, and the uh, and revenue sharing is $25. Like, it's, it just added up. It's exactly it. And then they lost revenue sharing because now they're declared a, 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 a big market, which I think is actually a total travesty, if I can just do a digression. <laughs> like, do Oakland, it, you know, do it. Oakland is not <laughs> a big market. It Yes, the Bay Area is, but... The Silicon Valley heads <laughs> and the marina people in San Francisco are not going to games in Oakland. 
Okay, <laughs> like it's, it's not. True. It's a it's a small market within a larger market. Anyway, um, they lost that twenty so plus million of revenue sharing, and now they spend sixty million a year. I think we confused very densely populated areas with easily accessible markets, and and like it's. Just because there's a ton of people that live there doesn't mean that the market supporting one specific franchise in that broader area is nearly as big as the entire area. That's, I think, the the point you're getting at with the A's, right? I mean, Bay Area is big, but I've spent some time recently looking at some of the geography of the Bay Area and thinking about how everything kind of comes together for some other reasons. And, and the what, money what you're saying on makes the West sense. Side. Yeah, there's there's a lot of money there, but it's all concentrated in a few areas so you know that's a factor to consider yeah. as well and then so in a similar vein to what you're saying about oakland i started looking into why the padre is spending money now like they must have a pretty good tv deal and they did get a pretty big tv deal back in like 2012 there was a, a piece from actually trent rosecrans who uh, had been writing i think for cbs at the time and they got their deal which was supposed to be for 20 years and worth about a billion dollars and Jesus. San Diego is a, not a big market either. In, in the article, he points out it's the 26th largest market in baseball. They didn't start spending that money right away. Like if that deal kicked in six, seven years ago now, they just started spending like a team that had that TV money because they were doing the rebuild. They, and I think to Britt's point about the Orioles, they're not going to spend extra later. They will spend what they should have been spending all along later yeah. when they're competitive, yes. when they can pack 50,000 people into the stadium and make playoff runs and maximize revenue that way. That's when they're going to spend what they should have been spending the entire time. They're never going to overspend as a result of money they did not spend in the last three, four seasons now. Yeah. And, and to me, the biggest thing is like the regu- the regulation of it, right? Like you're rebuilding. Shouldn't you have to prove where that money's going that you're saving? Shouldn't you have to prove like I'm pumping it into here? These minor league facilities are doing this. We're paying our coaches this. It's going into the international pool here. Um, that you would say, hey, that's preposterous. You, MLB can't tell teams that. Well, MLB can now tell teams how many minor league teams to have. So MLB can't pick and choose when it's going to get involved, right? Now that everything is streamlined, now that we're all under this one baseball umbrella, that's fine if teams want to rebuild. Where's the money going, right? That's that's to me needs to be regulated. Where's the money going? If we're all under one big, you can only you can't have an extra minor league team. You're taking away all these advantages. That's fine. If the Yankees save a hundred million dollars this year, where's that money going? Yeah, it's not making tickets cheaper. It, you know, <laughs> no. it's not right. making the games more accessible, live games more accessible. You know, it's not it's not going into player payroll. So, yeah. But uh, sometimes I throw my hands up because, like I said, it's a business. You know, they you can't claim that that. They didn't lose money this year, I don't think, you know? Yeah, depending on how you say lost, though, right? Because yeah. the Braves made money. They're a public company, and and so, therefore, they can't lie, and they still made money this year. Right. I think it was $100 million. Is that right, around there? So the Yankees might have lost money because they thought they were going to make $500 million and they only made $300 million, Right. Do they actually? Do you think any team actually is in the red, or did they make less than they just make less than they thought they were going to make? I've been, yeah, I think there's, I think there were teams in the red. I've been asking executives, and they were, you know, about this for a while, and you know, they're pretty tight-lipped about it, and they're actually even, um, you know, front office executives that don't have access to that sort of uh, profit and loss type statement. There's a lot. If you're talking about baseball ops, a lot of times they get a number, they get a budget. They don't really know, you know, how much the team is making or losing. That's sort of like up at the ownership level. Um, but there, the idea that I got was that teams make on the order of sort of thirty to hundred million a year, um, and so the average loss. If you just, you know, if you just look at, uh, you know, if you just look at uh, gate receipts and stuff, the average loss is like a hundred million a team. So, yes, I think there were some teams that were even and some teams that were up, but there were also some teams that were down. But but if you make that, you know, 10 years in a row and then you lose it one year, you know, you should have had some buffer. <laughs> like you should have been okay. That's what the rest of us are told when things aren't going well. Like, oh, you should have saved. You should have, you should have saved somebody. Right, right. You should have been ready for that. You should have been prepared for that, that unexpected event that messed up your world 
I mean, that's what we're told all the time. So I don't really know why like this. Your, is yeah, your car breaks down, or you have a big health bill. Yeah, oh, well. your medical bills. Well, you should have been saving this entire time, actually. <laughs> oh, thanks. Good, good advice. So I, I do think if you're going to find a way to prevent tanking, you have to hit owners where it matters, and that's in their wallet. That's the thing they care about because it is a business, as you guys are saying. It, it, it's obviously priority number one is to make money. And if it is no longer financially viable to put a crap team on the field and just be generally bad year over year, teams will stop doing that pretty quickly. But as long as that's an option, as long as that's even the most efficient way to eventually become a good team again, they will do it and they'll have justification of their fan bases supporting them in many cases. Like Pirates are one of the few exceptions where I feel like the fan base has actually finally turned against the team. Usually, fans yeah. just sit year after year and accept it, it seems like. They've gone to this, reached this point where they're like, oh, this is okay. We're going to be better in 2026. Like, yeah, cool. If we get there, like, yeah, we'll, get, we'll be better in 2026. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the, the success ratio formula is the, like the dream idea. I think it's probably the least likely for the reasons yeah. that you outlined. It, it, it kind of falls in line with something that we see in fantasy leagues sometimes where if you finish dead last, you pay double the entry fee. If you finish bottom, I was just three, thinking about that. You pay a little more. Really? Yeah, you, you end up paying more in some of those leagues for for being at the bottom because you uh, you're, you're imbalancing the league with some of your activities, or at least you're paying a penalty for not being competitive. And it's it's effective. It works. Like you you say, oh, I'm going to rebuild for a year, but I'm not paying a double entry fee three years in a row to eventually win a title later. I'm not going to get my money back. The league the league yeah. prize isn't that big, right? So. It, it's kind of it's kind of in that vein, so I do I do like that sort of logic. Uh, I think across all sports, and we saw this in the NFL this year, the tanking for the first overall pick, especially, and it's less valuable in baseball than it is in other sports. That's a problem, but I don't think I like lotteries any better. I think the closest thing I've come to, again from the fantasy world, is rewarding teams that nearly made the playoffs with the earliest draft picks. I play in a league where the first team that doesn't get paid, which is usually, I think, fifth place in about a 16-team league, fifth place gets the first pick in the reserve draft the following year. So they get the first crack at the pool of prospects after the auction. Something more like that. It incentivizes trying and the attempt to actually make the playoffs. Now, I think the most skeptical side of each of us might say, well, there could be a team that decides that going to a wildcard playoff game isn't as good as having the first overall pick in the draft, so they start to do some fishy things and, and tank in September to get that number one overall pick. I think that's possible, but I don't think that's the most likely outcome if you implement something like that to determine your draft order. I mean, postseason money is a real is a real carrot. I think that people mm -hmm. do want postseason money. I just think that what's going to happen is you're going to have the expanded playoffs, and so you're going to have more, more carrots there. That's good. So there'll be teams that it would be good to be an 84 win team, you know? And so every, every, there won't be any incentive to sort of build the Yankees when the, the Yankees and Dodgers exist. There'll be a lot of incentive to build the A's, you know, <laughs> to build, you know, like a cheap uh, team that can win 88 games. And so there's, I mean, there's just all these needles going in different directions. You know, there is an incentive to win, which is, um, you know, which is the butts and seats. Um, but, uh, maybe you're in a place where you're, you have a terrible, uh, you, you're in a weird market or a terrible stadium like Tampa or Oakland. And you say, okay, well, we're never going to get that many butts in the seats. So we're going to, we're going to go for the postseason money in this way. And, uh, we're just going to try and build a high variance 88 win team every year. Um, it, 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 I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't figure it out. Even after reading your piece, which I think was good, I can't, I can't figure it out. You're not gonna, you're not gonna convince owners just to like act differently out of their own will, out of a goodwill. You're not gonna convince owners that these, that they should run baseball teams differently. That's just, that's like sort of pie in the sky for me. Um, you need to have financial incentives, but what are the financial incentives that 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 the players? Like salary floor, you're right. It's going to be a player thing. That's going to be that be a that would be throw a, a wrench into the CBA. The one thing that I can think of is national TV money um, and revenue sharing money because that's an argument between owners and not between owners and players, right? And um, and that's that's something that Manfred could do. So there, you could actually tie some sort of incentive to national TV money. 
Do you also have to yeah. go through the process of showing the owners, showing them that tanking is actively bad for their bottom line? Like it's right. bad for the sport. It's bad for the Steinbrenner family. It's bad for the group that owns the Dodgers. It's bad for the teams at the top to have bottom feeders that don't try. If you can convince them of that, maybe they do. Maybe they decide, yeah, actually, we do need to. We need to change this. We need to actually leverage a change in our ownership group because this is bad for all of our bottom lines. We are giving up too much of a share to these teams that are not bringing back business. They're actively hurting us with their decision to run the teams the way that they do. I think, can you connect declining attendance and declining ratings for baseball to tanking? And I think there have been some uh, some good cases that have been made. I've seen it on baseball perspective in those places where um, you know a large part of the attendance decline could be explained by like the Marlins, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like they were like by teams that had like cut and run basically uh, and blown up their teams. Um, so I think that I don't know who's going to make that case though. Someone has to make that case to Manfred. I don't know. Maybe the yeah. maybe the players' association. I don't know, but someone has to make that case to, to Manfred to be like, "This is bad for your bottom line." Even if you don't see it right away, this there is a connection between these teams tanking and overall health of the sport. There is because if you you look at San Diego, and yes, we're in a pandemic. Yes, people. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Yes, you know, teams are 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 looking at ways to get people in the the stands. You can't tell me that once they let fans in, the people in San Diego aren't going to be clamoring to watch that Padres team, oh, right? Man, yeah, I- exactly. So you build a fun, excitable team that wants to win. People are going to show up. I I believe that in almost every market in MLB. And to be honest, if you don't have an ownership group that can that is rich enough to be able to sustain a $100 million, $150 million payroll every year, why on earth are you letting these people buy these teams, mm. right? If that's really the case, and, and I think, you know, you made a good point, you need to find a, an area where the owners are not unanimous. Revenue sharing is a great one. The ones who are paying in to this pot and not seeing as much as the as the smaller market teams are angry about it. That is an area you can expose. That's an area with national TV money. How come the Yankees are on national TV all the time, but the Marlins are getting the same cut of that, right? So I think once you find a way, uh, an area where the owners aren't in agreement, now you can start to chafe away, right? Now you can start to build some momentum where there is an argument, where yes, maybe there are some changes that need to be made. But I I know attendance isn't what it used to be. It's not as much money-wise. But to me, it's the only way you grow this. It's a big way of growing the sport. It is physically attending the games is still a huge way to grow Especially the sport. For, for kids, if you look at the national the demographic of baseball, it's getting older and older, right? And you know, part of that is like how did like how, I don't know how you guys fell in love with the sport, but I went to Turner uh it wasn't Turner, it was Atlanta Fulton County Stadium in the in the late eighties and I bought a real cheap ass ticket and they waved us down in the second inning and all of a sudden I was in the front. Yeah, the team was bad, but like the it was really cheap to go to games. And so that was a thing I could do in an afternoon. It was great. I loved it. So um, you know, that's that's not how teams are run now. That's not how the ushers work anymore. <laughs> that's not how that's not how ticket pricing works so well. So um, yeah, I, yeah, I think attendance is, and that's, it's tied into the minor league thing too, where you know, now you can't in a lot of places even go see a cheap minor league team, um, because they've, they've moved it out of the, out of affiliation. So I, I think that this is on Manfred. It's on Manfred and, and Manfred to me almost seems like he, he's obsessed with things like time of game and pace of game and balls in play. And maybe there's, is something there about balls in play. Um, and maybe there is something there about time of game. Baseball is maybe 20 minutes longer than the other sports, uh, at least least more than basketball. I mean, football to me seems like a three hour sport, you know, I I don't know. I don't know why three hours is such a big deal. Football's a three hour sport. Baseball's a three hour sport. Get over it. It's a three hour thing. The playoff, the playoff games are a big deal. Four Four hour playoff games are a big deal. Yeah. Having 10 times as many regular season games also, I think makes it harder for people to get behind three plus hour games. Like that's, Part of the problem, I think, for, again, very casual fans. But I I think for as good as Rob Manfred is at making money for major league owners, I don't think he and the rest of the people in his office have done really anything to ensure future viability of the game 
by making future fans. Like the average age going up is an alarming statistic. They should be more concerned about it. They've done a few things more recently that I think are interesting. The the, the vault with all the old highlights, that's cool. Like that kind of tech and that kind of stuff is a very small step in the right direction, but like you, you know, going to games as a kid is a big part of why I love baseball so much. One of our, our neighbors, uh, Mr. Calhoun, shout out to him. I don't know if you listen to the pod, but uh, their family of four that lived behind us growing up, they had four tickets to the Brewers, season tickets, upper level at County Stadium. Um, and during the summer, uh, Mrs. Calhoun had to work. She couldn't get off work to go to like a one o'clock game on a Tuesday. So they brought me as the neighbor kid who wanted to go to the games. And I got to see a whole bunch of baseball games live that I wouldn't have seen Otherwise, just because they were kind enough to, to bring me, you know, uh, my dad worked for a company that had some tickets every once in a while tickets would go unused because the Brewers were pretty bad in the late nineties. So our family would go watch games there. It changes a lot about how you feel about a sport being able to see it up close. And with the minor leagues being completely dismantled and reshaped, that is a major concern that is even greater now than it was even just a couple of years ago that, Baseball has to figure out sooner rather than later. Uh, be sure to check out Britt's piece. It went up on Tuesday. How do you stop MLB teams from tanking? It will. <laughs> it will be uh, posted up in the uh, show notes as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Breaking news, breaking news. We got breaking news. And <laughs> and it's relevant breaking news. Oh, yes, we have something. What do we have? It's what? relevant breaking news. Jeff Passan is reporting that the Mets get shortstop Francisco Lindor and right-handed pitcher Carlos Carrasco. And the Indians get shortstop Andres Jimenez, right-handed pitcher Josh Wolf, outfielder Isaiah Green, and Mayo, Jonathan Mayo, is reporting that um, Ahmed Rosario is also in the deal. Okay, it's so a big deal. That That's the two shortstops wow. that might have competed for the job in New York going to Cleveland. Um, and the prospects are a little bit underwhelming otherwise uh, because uh, Josh Wolf is a, by fan graphs, is about the 15th best uh, uh, prospect they've got and Isaiah Green is about 17th so two top 20 prospects for the Fangrass both 40 future value uh, with an ETA around 2024 and 2025 guys that are far off um, let me see if I got an age on there they are 19 and 20 so that's a, a right handed pitcher and a center fielder that are far away and then two possible replacements for the Indians this is a team that is trying in the Mets, that has a new owner, that is the face of the franchise owner, that does seem to be treating his new team as a fancy bauble, you know, mm -hmm. that has enough money to lose money. Uh, this is a team that's acting almost like an old school fashion where he just wants, he, he said, we want to win the win it all in three to five years, you know. And he, he came and, and wanted a, a new catcher and, and wanted a new shortstop. And we'll see if they also sign uh, Springer and or Bauer. But this is a shot across the bow. I think this takes him out of the, the running for Bauer. Uh, I think that they, they've got a pretty good rotation now with Carrasco, <laughs> Thor, and uh, DeGrom at the top there. Uh, but the Indians. I mean, come on, Ugh. Indians. They let me see that they 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 were running a payroll that was they, they've been sort of down in payroll uh, year after year and uh, they were already uh, down to 
Let's see here. They're already down to, oh my God, their estimated payroll for 2021 is 69 million. They were running 120s and 130s at some point. So they're down to 69 million for 2021. Uh, And that's before they get rid of Carrasco's 12 million and Lindor's 20 million. Oh my God, dude. (laughs) The Indians are going to have a $45 million payroll after this. Yep. Where's that money go? Into an envelope for later? No, I don't think so. By the way, so Ken Rosenthal's all over this as well with with some of the stuff. But you're right. This is see the Mets and the Padres are 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 kind of saving us from what all otherwise would be just an absolutely ridiculous hot stove, right? At least there are teams trying to win here. I, I I guess the Indians are not going to change their name to the Cleveland Lindors anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Derek's face when uh when you suggested that they were out on Bauer, the Mets suggest that Derek feels otherwise. Derek. Yeah, this needs to be a streaming video show, but um, <laughs> I, I don't think this necessarily means they're not in on Bauer because I don't think we have a good feel yet for where that ceiling is going to be. I think we can assume that they don't want to pay a luxury tax. Like that's even for someone with Steve Cohen's money, I think it would be reaching a little bit to assume he will go into that threshold right away in year one, especially when he said three to five years. Initially, maybe that was just setting expectations at a more reasonable point instead of saying, we're winning it all in 2021, which is a very difficult declaration to make. Uh, I'm blown away by this because Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, you know, they're major league ready middle infielders. And for a long time, this is something that Cleveland developed in spades. I mean, are they completely giving up? No, they're, they're just trying to do the cheap thing. They're trying to do the A's, Rays, Brewers model. They're trying to slash payroll and and stay good and stay good enough to hang with the Twins and the White Sox. And I mean, look, the Tigers are are still a year or two away, but their their next five years looks brighter to me than Cleveland's next five years, or at least they're comparable. And that's hard to say when you look at how good Cleveland was just just the last few years, right? This is a perennial playoff team that didn't want to keep its franchise player and absolutely could have kept its franchise player. I'm a little underwhelmed by the return, but I think this is more along the lines of what teams are going to get now when they trade players in the final year of their deal, no matter how good those players are. We're we're not going to see elite of the elite prospects on the move. Uh, The Mets didn't have a player like that to give anyway. You know, the, the Mets don't have a player in the top 10, top 20 prospects overall. They just don't have a player like that. It's interesting that Carrasco is included too because I didn't really expect that, but good for the Mets, right? I mean, they're, I they're going all in I think that means that they here. had to add Carrasco to get more value. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think in Cleveland's priority was probably just, well, hey, let's just save an extra $12 million, right? You said he was due $12 million this year? Yeah. Let's just shave $12 million more and we can get back Isaiah Green too. I think Green's a, a little bit of a sleeper prospect, not highly regarded yet, but has potential to shoot up lists. But how mad are you? If you're a fan in Cleveland, how disappointed are you right now by this decision in this process? This is what we were talking about, right? Like how how can you sit here and be like, oh, you know what? We're a better team today than we were yesterday. No, you're not. You lost Francisco Lindor, who we know is in his prime. Yes, he had a down year in 2020. How much stock can you put in that shortened season? The guy's going to be a star in a huge city in a huge market, right? You're going to see Francisco Lindor splashed across billboards everywhere. Teammates love him. Great player, great teammate, a lot of energy. Uh, Baseball needs stars like this. And if you're the Indians, like you said, Derek, it's not like, oh, we got these hot shots. We're going to retool and be good next year. They're not going to be good next year. They're not going to be good the year after that. You're looking now at maybe not a tanking, but this is kind of like Chicago Cubs-itis, right? Where they got rid of Darvish. By the way, is Chris Bryant just going to get absolutely... Someone's going to fleece the Cubs to get Chris Bryant next because why is he on that team? I feel like that might be the next move we see here. Uh, but certainly, you, you're you continuing the gulf between the teams that are trying to win and the teams that aren't. The have and have nots. This is, this is exactly, to me, what the issue with the sport is, is when Francisco Lindor is being traded away because you can't afford to keep him. So I got a quick follow-up for both of you. I guess I'll throw it to you first. You know, is it hypocritical of us to tear apart Cleveland, but to be more gentle with the Tampa Bay Rays when they trade away Blake Snell? Like, 
conceptually, this really isn't that much different. I realize Snell had multiple years left on his deal, and, and that changes the type of return you can get. But are we unfair to Cleveland in this case, or are we just too generous when it comes to our analysis of the Rays by comparison? I don't know, man. Like, how much more like flexibility do you need? <laughs> the Indians before this trade were projected to be a top six team in baseball. They are a contender with Lindor. And they're going to get, actually, now that I look at it, close to $40 million. Their, their payroll is going to be almost like it's going to be like $41 million. It's going to be the lowest in the big leagues. They'll drop like, you know, five wins, six wins off of their roster and they'll drop out of the top 10. Are they banking on the idea that that there's going to be expanded playoffs and they'll get in anyway with, you know, Jose Ramirez as their primary bat and, and figure the rest out? I don't know, man. I, I'm not. Lindor and Carrasco. That's what we're forgetting, too. You know, that those are two guys who have been a big part of Cleveland over their recent. Like you'd ask me to name Indians. Those are like two of the first guys I mentioned. Right. Of, of that recent team and they're the they're like super fun like and they have these backstories like it's cookie you know his name is cookie and he had leukemia and yeah this is a bunch of guys that play mario kart together in the clubhouse like they're generally a fun like everyone loves him he loved cleveland at least he sure made it seem like he did which i don't think everybody loves cleveland i I don't think you can put everybody in cleveland for six years and have them say yeah actually i love it here this is my home like some people would say get me the hell out of here that's true of any place but i'm looking at this depth chart they're still good they're just not a, a lock to make the playoffs at this point right they're they're doing the cubs comparison is very fair because if the cubs only get rid of darvish and they keep wilson Contreras and they keep javi baez and they keep chris bryant in the NL Central, they're still going to be in the mix to win the division. They're still going to hang around and and possibly make some upgrades later in the season when it costs a little less money. And they could win the division and be an October team. That could absolutely happen, even though they traded away Darvish. I think you could say the same about Cleveland because they still have Ramirez. You have two other good middle infielders that we just mentioned. Ahmed Rosario is not necessarily the player people expected him to be, but 2019... 2.7 war up the middle. That's good. He's got power. He's got speed. He's a good defender. He's a good player. And Andres Jimenez looks at least like a solid regular. So, you know, they're not gutting it. And I thought last year when they traded Corey Kluber for Emmanuel Classe, that was kind of how I felt about how they're trading Carrasco now. I'm like, this seems like it's a, a year too early. I think Carrasco's still good. I thought Kluber was still good. He got hurt. So we didn't really get to find out. And they came back, and Plesak pitched really well. Savali exceeded expectations. You know, Tristan McKenzie came up and gave them some quality innings. They're kind of trusting their own ability to continue developing pitching in, in this yeah. as well. The, the shameful part is not keeping Lindor. We've known this was likely to happen for a long time. I think it's just as bad as the Red Sox not keeping Mookie Betts long term. Whether or not Betts want to stay, whatever, that's another story. But it's unbelievable to me that this is the norm that, that we can expect this, and that this is not shocking to us when it happens. I think it's almost worse than Betts, who they at least got a, a major league-ready player back for Betts. I mean, you guys, Baseball America had this great tweet. The Mets basically sent their number one prospect from 2017, along with their number 3, 10, and 11 prospects, to get Francisco Lindor and Cookie Carrasco. It's a, it's, a, it's a fleecing. I don't know how Cleveland could have gotten three more prospects and we still would have been talking about how the Mets have won this trade, right? I think, first off, I think the Mets, certainly with the money that Steve Cohen brings, are going to look to lock up Lindor. That seems like a no-brainer here that they're going to trade trade for him and try to keep him as a Met, you know, try to make him one of the faces of their franchise. But the, the returns on these deals is staggering. That's the other thing. They're, they're not, it's not even remotely even, right? Control and flexibility are the the main words here. <laughs> this is worse than the bets thing because price cost more, and the and the Red Sox got more, right? There, yes. it's actually pretty similar. Where you get one year of bets, and you have to you have to you put a pitcher on there that that costs a lot of money, and and they put it together. But price costs more. The Dodgers paid more of the price deal. And the Red Sox got Verdugo as a centerpiece and Jeter Downs as a second piece. I would say that Verdugo is better than Jimenez and Rosario because I don't even think that you're sure 
Right now, the depth chart says that you split the time between Jimenez and Rosario and still come up with a below average situation. So I don't, I'm not sure that you're sure that either one of those is a major league average shortstop. Maybe you hedge your bets by getting two. And so you say, between the two of them, we think we have one major league average shortstop. But I think Verdugo was comfortably above average, right? And price yeah. costs more than Carrasco. And, and might be like worse than Carrasco. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> this should, should be a video so everyone can see our faces. We're just stunned. <laughs> I guess the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic had something to do with this because they should have at least gotten something close to the uh, bets return. But I, I don't know. I don't know how much to just wave your hands and say pandemic and that's it. I think there's. I think there's longer term trends here. I agree with that. I think Steve Cohen lost money in the pandemic all the rich everyone lost money in the pandemic that is that rich except right? the rogers I, think, I guess jesus yeah i except for the guy except for the zoom people but like <laughs> otherwise i just don't bezos this isn't like a yeah this isn't like a we had a one down year we got trade lindor away look we were talking about this before the pandemic let's not give cleveland a, an easy hook off this has been talked about before the pandemic, this has been something that they've come out and said we cannot afford him. It didn't matter if they played 162 games this season and Cleveland sold out every one, right? Nothing was going to keep them from trading away Francisco Lindor because he got too expensive for what they deemed his value was in a market like Cleveland. And that is the real travesty here. How do you... As an Indians fan, these kids who love Lindor and love Carrasco, like I understand this is part of the game. However, who did they get back that's going to even remotely replace him? They, these aren't even the, the, to me. This just trade, and yes, some of it is probably from the pandemic. You know, you're right there, but I, I don't know. It, it just seems to me like desperation. Like they weren't sure anybody else. You know, the Blue Jays and who really didn't have that need. They weren't sure anybody else was going to step forward, so they took the the first deal they got. That's kind of what this seems like, right? Like you, Darvish, with the the you know the Cubs. Like, hey, you want them? Here you go. Take them. We'll take almost nothing in return. Yeah, or a lot of yeah future guys that you know you could take a chance on yourself. You could sign several players in international free agency the way the Padres did and just have those guys without giving up. You Darvish if you're in the Cubs' shoes. But uh, I think we're going to see uh, Rosario and Jimenez playing the middle infield together. I think they're the starting shortstop and second baseman now for Cleveland. So uh, a tough pill to swallow for Cleveland fans, even though you probably knew it was coming for a long time. Uh, let's get to at least one other topic. They definitely did a good job of, of cratering our outline with the breaking news, but I'll take that. Like We've been jonesing for anything to happen. And finally, we got something. That's right. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about Eno's piece about the possible effects of no in-game video in 2020. And it's something we've kind of wondered about on pods throughout the last few months. And one thing that really stuck with me was just seeing the third time through the order penalty nearly disappearing. And I think there may be some other factors in play there. You pointed out in the article, the way the rosters were built being bigger, uh, the way some pitchers weren't fully stretched out. Maybe it was only very good and elite pitchers for the most part who were even contributing to the third time through the order split. Uh, But, you know, as you spoke to more people about how video is actually utilized by players in-game, did you get the sense that it actually was more than just the unique nature of, of 2020 that played into uh, the the changes, especially with that third time to the order split? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the players I actually talked to, the hitters I talked to said I only use it for the strike zone. And there wasn't really an evidence, that, that much evidence that players were worse at judging the strike zone this year than they were in the past. So I, I don't know it was hard to like tease out an end mass effect, like a, an actual correlation between no video and this exact thing. Because even if you think about it this way, you think about the third time through the order penalty disappeared, but also uh, they were 26 man rosters or 28 man rosters for a while. There was only 60 games. And so we saw an all time low of pitchers being used a third time through the order. And we only actually saw uh, we, it went from about 16% to 10%. So now if you think about it, only 10% of pitchers are going third time through the order. That means only aces are. That means only about 15 pitchers in, in the big leagues are allowed to go third time through the order on average. So if you're only seeing aces a third time through the order, that's going to kill the third time through the order penalty because it's like, yeah, how much of a third time through the order penalty does Jake DeGrom have? <laughs> he has a lot right. of pitches and great command. It's it's probably not that big. So, um so, yes, I do think that certain players were affected. And, and you know, you get trolls being like, ah, oh, excuses. I don't know, man. They're legitimate excuses. This is like video is a real part of, of preparation. I think this what made it hard to tease it out is that apparently pitchers were also limited for how much video work they could do. And because there's only one person in the video room at a time. So you couldn't have like all your pitchers for the day doing all their prep work. Um, and so there was a little bit of both sides of the, of the deal, uh, being hurt by, by lack of video, but, um, in-game video is something that helps hitters. Hitters struck out more than ever before. And I think that there is a link there. I think that, you know, you may want no technology. Let me ask you this. Are you guys anti-technology during the game? Like after the whole Astros thing, like there's a definite strong feeling about that. No, I just think it needs to be better policed. And what I thought your article did a good job of of explaining to people was the fact that the game has gotten to the point where if you don't adjust, you don't survive, right? And yeah. not game to game anymore. It's at bat to at bat. Mm-hmm. And you made that great point that like, I can't notice, you can't notice. Like it, it, it's nothing that like you can see. All of a sudden, a guy doesn't just add a leg kick, right? It's these right. tiny <laughs> micro adjustments that I think all the all the best hitters in baseball are doing. And without the video, they struggled. And again, none of us noticed. They're not like, oh, you know what? Stanton didn't make the adjustment there clearly on that pitch that he needed to, right? Like none of us can notice that, so it's hard to appreciate it. And what I liked about your article was that you like took us through the rhythms of the swing and and how important that third time becomes and how these guys feel like they're kind of flying blind, I guess, for lack of a better word, right? They're so used to this. They've come up with this and then they get it taken away. Yeah. I think the the younger players in particular, they're just steeped in data and tech and, and, and video, you know, that's just how they came up. It's, you know, like I think about that Bryce Jarvis interview I did where he's talking about spin efficiency and this and that, and like attack angles. And, you know, you're like, 
this is the this is the this is how the kids talk these days. <laughs> Hello, how do you so, do, fellow kids? Yeah, how do you do, fellow kids? I <laughs> I speak video and tech too. No, but uh, yeah, I think that you're taking away something they're used to, and so obviously there was there was ramifications, and whether it's you know how you time your load or how well you know the strike zone, or the, because the umpire strike zone changes every night, and people talk about like. You know, can can't you do this with good advanced scouting? Uh, I guess, but you step in the box, and the umpire is different that day, and the pitcher is different that day, and the combination of the umpire and the pitcher makes something pretty unique. And so, to be able to just look, and I think you know, a lot of people equate in-game video now with cheating, but I just uh, I don't see it that way. There's there's people who are just looking to say, oh, look, Sunny Gray, like even in the one example I have. Sonny Gray threw him a changeup in the first inning. Sonny Gray does not throw a lot of changeups. And so maybe, you know, Christian Yelly was like, whoa, what was that? And he took it the first time, right? And in the third at bat, he saw the changeup again. He took it the first time, and then he hit a homer off it the second time. So there's maybe he spotted something that was the changeup. Or he said, I'm late on this pitches. Uh, I, I need to start when he breaks his hands here as opposed to where he breaks his hands here. That's, you know, that's where you start your your load, where you start your swing in opposition to where the pitcher is, is is the main the main in-game adjustment that I heard from pitching from hitting coaches. And I, it's uh, we're going to take that away because the Astros cheated. I don't no. know. I think we I think if you took in-game video out away, you'd see more and more strikeouts. I think because most tech favors pitchers is how I see it. Hmm. It's uh, most like sort of pregame prep, you know, sort of tech, you know, you yeah. Know, yeah. pitch design and, and all that stuff and editronic video and stuff. It just seems yeah. ridiculous to me to not allow hitters to review video because the Astros used video to cheat. Like they, that's not equal. Like those are very different applications of technology. So it, all tech's not bad because of what the Astros did. The pe- that people think that sort of baffles me. Uh, I, I thought there was an interesting question in the comments, and it was about whether or not pitchers do anything at all with in-game video. A lot of the tech for pitchers is more preparatory in nature, I guess we'd say, and you know, working on pitch design and all sorts of different things with uh, mechanics. But is there anything pitchers are looking for similar if maybe they're losing something mechanically in a certain inning? Or, do they do anything on the granular level that you found, or is this truly a tool that is more heavily utilized by hitters. I mean, the way that a, a pitcher works on his mechanics and stuff is with like slow, you know, like looking at high high frame rate, kind of edutronic and being like, okay, this is how the ball's coming off my hands. This is where, you know, I am at foot plant and stuff. And I just don't think that you're going to do that with the MLB AM feed that goes out on TVs, you know, in the middle of a game. It'd be like, oh, my foot is planting here and not here. Like that's that's between game work. You know, that's like that's like when you have throw day. That's what you do in the in the other four days. So uh, the only thing that I can think of is strike zone similar. I'm not getting calls here. Look at that pitch. I you know I'm start, I'm starting to see where his strike zone is, um, and uh, maybe some sort of sense of like you know the hitter took that pitch like this. You know the oh the hitter wanted to swing or the hitter checked his swing on that one. Kind of run through the last at bat. Especially if it, but I would say that would you reserve that for the stud in the lineup, right? You know, like oh, Yelich is coming up again, and the game is tied one-one. I better let me look at what I did in the last uh, at bat against him, and kind of reframe and like look at his body language, and maybe. But I, I, I honestly don't think that pitchers do that much of it in game. I think that's I think the balance shifts over to hitters in game. They get more value out of it in game. You know, so have you heard like what? the resolution is for 2021 are we continuing down this road are they are they switching it i know we don't even know if spring training is going to start on time next month but uh what what are you hearing in terms of what what may be or even not like what do you think may happen with this going forward you know it's really interesting that because it actually ties into like um how we've personally experienced the pandemic i think through all this because i have a quote from andy haynes from during the season where he says yeah I'm, i anticipate us getting back to normal next year and, and having in-game video and, and and that that being normal but i think if you kind of think about what it was like in august i think we thought things were going to be okay. 
You know what I mean? Like we were, we were kind of in the bottom of that, of that graph. Uh, and now we're back on the top of that graph and now people are talking about, you know, can we start on time and this and that and what's the season going to look like? And we're kind of getting back into that. I don't, I don't want to say chicken little, but like that kind of just pessimistic mode where we're like, ah, I don't even know if it's going to happen, you know? Um, so I would say that I, I assume in-game video will be back um, in, in some way. And maybe they'll just one person in there at a time. I don't know. They they have to. There has to be some sort of monitoring of it. So they may have to uh, install video cameras. But I think there is some sort of video camera, where like where you're actually watching the video game room. You know what I mean? So that MLB can like watch the video game room and see what's going on in there. Um, they're gonna have to figure something out. But I like I just personally the reason I asked if you guys were sort of anti technology during the game is that. There's, it seems like there's two solutions to the Astro situation or, or any sort of manipulation of tech and data in-game. The two solutions are either less or more, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Less tech or more tech, you know? And uh, I kind of don't see us... I think it's a Pandora's box. I don't think that, you know, baseball or the world is going to have less tech going forward. Uh, unless there's like a sort of massive restructuring of capitalism and like how things work. Like we're only going to have more tech. And so to me, more tech means, uh, you know, some sort of Wi-Fi dampener you know, or some sort of like, you know, watching the people watching the video, you know, like just like more surveillance of the players when they're in these uh, video capabilities. Um, maybe some sort of MLB employee that's that's actually uh, like a snitch, you know, <laughs> like an MLB employee at the ballpark that's like allowed to walk around and look at see what's happening in the video game room and allowed to look in the dugout and see if they're you know what they're doing in the dugout with their with their technology. So um, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but I don't think it's going to be some sort of Luddite kind of like, let's go back to Amish baseball. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't see that happening. It's the, the cat's out of the bag. Butter churning between innings would be, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's something that you'd have in a minor league game. Weird. Actually. Like I, I would expect that you know, if you go to like, I don't know, Williamsport for a game or something, they'd have <laughs> butter churning night or something. You could learn Amish skills, uh, in between innings. But, yeah, I mean, I I think the toothpaste is out of the tube with the tech. You're not yeah. you're not getting that toothpaste back in. So lean into it, uh, find ways to police it. That seems to be the most logical way to go forward. It just seems weird to me that after an entire off season and with so many players being willing to talk about how much this changed their season, that we don't have an obvious. Oh yes, and the video rooms are now safe for social distancing. There are now six hubs so six players can be in in this 50 foot room and they're all six feet apart and it's all very safe and there are cameras and whatever we need to do to make it safe like come on like you tell me they can't remodel a couple of rooms easily that the players have access to right now like we're there's no shortage of resources in these organizations so if there are no fans put a couple computers up on the on the concourse yeah then they're, then they're all in plain view everyone can see what's yeah, going on yeah everyone can see them you know yeah and they're not if they start banging on a trash can they're in trouble <laughs> oh you, yeah. you wouldn't believe it if uh, if someone predicted it five years ago you wouldn't have you said no nah, that couldn't happen there's just there's no way there's just no way uh, I highly recommend you check out Eno's piece and both the Brits pieces the changes to the drug of abuse provisions uh, piece is also really good. I'm going to link all of them in the oh, show notes. Oh man, that that deserves a little bit of love. That was uh, that was a re- <laughs> great piece and just just an awful, just like an awful look into like how rules can be just be terrible to people. You know what I mean? And just like how how we incentivize just weird ass behavior with with rules we incentivize people to get addicted to painkillers i mean you should see these guys there's buckets of painkillers in the clubhouse there's just buckets of them and these guys i think half of them are probably addicted to painkillers how that leads to opioid addiction and we vilify the guys who decide to smoke pot for for their pain management instead like uh that was a great piece brett and uh I don't. I don't want that one to get swept under the rug or anything. That was that was <laughs> something I've been thinking about for a long time. You know, th- these these guys get manipulated 
you know, anybody that, you know, the, the, the piece about people, um, you know, that have had positive drug tests and how they get manipulated by their, by their organizations. I found that just totally abhorrent, you know, it's part of why, uh, I won't work. I w- if I ever worked in baseball, I wouldn't work for a couple organizations because of stuff I've heard about what they've done in the past. So, um, great reporting on that one. Thank you. You know, yeah, it was a, it was nice to bring a, a face and a story to like, you've heard about it. I've heard about it forever. Like the whole smoke your way to the 40 man roster, uh, the, the depths with which some of this was either covered up or, you know, a lot of people believed, uh, of course, that, you know, Latin players and non-white players uh, were, were more marginalized, were tested more. Uh, there's, a you know, a lot of things, Sports Mirror Society, and unfortunately, it seemed like, you know, as we become better and as we learn more about marijuana and what's going on with the opioid crisis, we're now like, oh, my gosh, why are we treating this like crack cocaine when these guys are just want to play video games and, and smoke? They're not going to get in trouble. They're not the guys out at the bar. They're not the guys we have to deal with, you know, DV or some of these other things. And this episode was so packed that we didn't even get to the Hall of Fame. Speaking of yeah. you know, some of the, the interesting things, I mean, we've really run the gamut today, guys. Mm-hmm. I got to say, sometimes in the winter, we we brainstorm off air, like how the, how the heck are we going to fill this hour? And this has been... There's been a lot, the Lindor trade. I mean, there's just been a lot of stuff going on uh, around baseball, but certainly Eno's piece was terrific. Uh, highly recommend you you check that out as well. There's just been, there's been a lot going on here over this last hour. Yes. Um, I, I have one last thought on, on your piece, Britt. The number of players who were pushed out of major league organizations who are still trying to build a career for themselves playing abroad is much greater than you realize. Like It's... Like these these guys are are ticker material at the time of the suspension, and then they're just gone. Like they just vanish, and it's just really cool to see. Like, hey, look these these people, they're still trying. This is still what they want to do, and yet there are players who've done things that are much worse, still playing, earning millions of dollars, and the hypocrisy is just off the charts. Yes, it's next level. It's uh, like every guy in there said they wish they had done steroids because that's a lot easier to forgive in our society and in our sport than than pretty much anything else. Yeah, it's on the the long, long list of things that need to be addressed in this uh, this game that we all enjoy so much. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. This one definitely took a different shape than we expected when it started. But hey, thanks to the Mets for being active and trying to make their team better. Um, no gratitude is owed to Cleveland. Sorry. You guys are jerks. Um, really <laughs> sad that you traded your superstar. If you're a fan of that team, I'm really sorry that you have to root for that team. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. She is at Brit underscore Giroli. Again, I'll link all the pieces we talked about today uh, into the show notes for today's episode. You can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Lots more great stuff to come because this offseason really is just getting started. So we are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.